Our gospel this morning is from Mark chapter 6. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many are coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in, a, in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now very late. Send them away so that we may... Uh, so they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. They said to, they said to him, are, you to go, are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves have you? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he ordered them to give all the people to sit down in groups of, on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifty. Taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them all. And all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Those who had eaten the loaves numbered 5,000 men. Here ends the reading. Thanks be to God. A couple of just uh, preliminary things before I get started this morning. I haven't done this in a while. Uh, we're going to do a little, um, I'm going to invite you to kind of participate in the creation of the sermon this morning. I see Carol is already giving me dirty looks. Uh, when I, yep, oh, and uh, Dick is all ready to write. He's, uh, you're on, Dick. I'm going to invite you up. You should have all gotten a piece of paper on your way in uh, that actually has last week's text on it. Uh, does everybody have one? No. Could our ushers make sure everybody has one? It will be very important. They're out? You're out? You're waving at me? You have one left? Oh, one second. The, what have we got left, Eric? Just a couple? Raise your hand if you don't have one. I actually need one, too. <laughs> I gave them all away. Good idea. Um, if you were here last week, um, the Gospel of Mark has these two stories that are right next to each other. Thank you, Eric. And uh, last week's story is particularly brutal and particularly ugly. Uh, and this week's story is particularly, I think, lovely. Uh, and one of the things that Mark does is often tells these stories side by side um, with intentionality. Uh, and so we're going to explore that a little bit today. Um, if you, just another quick note, if you weren't here last Sunday um, and missed Brian's sermon, I am always grateful for my colleagues here. Uh, we get the chance to hear all sorts of other voices uh, other than mine is what I mean by that, and um, I'm just always grateful. Uh, and so you, if you didn't listen to Brian's sermon last week, it's on our podcast. I really encourage you to go listen to it, and I also really encourage you to go listen and watch Hannah Gadsby's Netflix special. Very rarely at church will a pastor encourage you to go watch a comedy special, but that's what I'm doing this morning. You need to go watch it. 
Uh, it's really quite brilliant, and it ties in beautifully with what uh, Brian did last Sunday. So I, if, if, if you don't do that, I would encourage you to please go do that. All right, let's pray. The Lord be with you. Gracious and loving God, stir up your holy power this day and come. Send your spirit into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our ears, so that we might hear a word for us today anew, and so that we too might then live out that which we believe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So what I'm going to try to do this morning is peel back the onion, so to speak, a little bit on how sermon preparation takes place in the pastor's office and with conversations with other pastors. What I want to do is sort of walk through both of these uh, stories and sort of pause for a second at a number of places and just highlight some things that uh, come to mind as I'm reading the story so that you can see sort of how it goes from reading these stories into what might become a sermon. Uh, and as sort of I indicated, Mark has this beautiful technique of taking two stories and putting them next to each other, uh, in part so that one story uh, has some commentary on the other story. And these two stories, the one from last week and this week, belong together. Uh, and they interpret one another. So what you have in front of you is this ugly story from last week. It's an ugly story about Herod and a beheading. Um, you can just simply read along as I highlight a few of the things that happened in that story, and then I'm going to turn and highlight some things that happened in the other story. And then there are some questions at the bottom. I'm going to give you a little time to talk to one another, too. So I'm going to characterize this in this way. We have on the one hand the first story. I'm going to call it the party of Herod. And then we have the second story, and I'm going to call it the party of Jesus. And so let's take a look at the first party, the party of Herod. What do I notice uh, when we're going through this story? All right, first of all, uh, it's King Herod. And King Herod has a birthday party, and he's going to give a banquet. Uh, so what I need you to draw to mind is this King Herod is a political leader, a political ruler. He is the king. He is the most powerful person around. And he has a birthday party. Uh, and he throws a banquet. And who gets invited to this kind of party? If you're a king, you invite who? The fancy people and your military leaders and the leading figures in and around Galilee. I imagine they're the most prolific business people and the people who have the most power and authority. That's who you invite to your party. It says couriers, military officers, and high leaders. And then you have to have some entertainment at the party, right? Now, this is a little bit uh, not exactly clear because the story doesn't say this exactly, but he invites his daughter to come and dance. And what kind of dance was it? Was it a just a little dance, or was it a little dance? You know what I mean? Um, it's unclear. But nonetheless, uh, his daughter dances at this party, and I think there is at least an insinuation that it might be a seductive kind of dance. At the end of the dance, after his daughter has pleased everyone at the party, it's good entertainment when this daughter dances, uh, the king says, I'll give you a thank you. And so then the daughter goes to mom, and we don't know how old this daughter is. I'm going to just imagine she's 12. The daughter goes to mom and says, hey mom, dad said I can have anything I want up to half the kingdom as a thank you for my special birthday dance that I just gave for dad. And what does she ask, what does mom say? How about you go get a guy named John the Baptist and have him beheaded and then bring it to court for the party on a platter. Uh, the story just took a turn for the completely ugly. 
Uh, what mother asks their daughter to have somebody beheaded? This is not a pretty picture. Uh, this is quite the birthday party. And the daughter complies. Now, why does the mother ask for this? Uh, Brian has rightly interpreted that she is trying to silence John the Baptist. John the Baptist has said some things about her relationship with the king, and uh, she's not happy about it, so this is a murder revenge at a birthday party. Uh, this is an ugly story. And King Herod is trying to silence some of the voices, or I should say King Herod's wife is trying to silence the voice, voices. Then, uh, we have this inner monologue with King Herod. You don't get a whole lot of inner monologues in the Gospels, but in this case we do. And King Herod actually sort of likes to hear John the Baptist. He's confused by him, uh, but I think he sort of has some inclination to liking him for some reason and listening to him. So his conscience is torn. But what does he decide to do? He can't disappoint. He must show himself to be a powerful ruler. So he acquiesces and says, all right, go get John the Baptist and have him beheaded. So here we have a king who's more concerned about appearances than it is appearing or appealing to his own conscience or what is right. And then I just think this is unbelievable. The head appears on the platter and the daughter parades it around. This is a party of death. Uh, and it's gruesome. Okay. Party number one. And I made Brian preach on that story last week, so thanks, Brian. Let's turn to the party of Jesus for just a second, okay? Uh, one of the things that you should do for your preachers all the time is make sure that when we're reading the story, we're doing it in a way that's fair. So I just gave you a particular reading of that story. All of those things were interpretations, okay? You should check to make sure that that was fair. Now I'm going to do the same thing for the party of Jesus, okay? So let's turn over to the party of Jesus. That's our text for today. How does that party start? It starts with a party of grief and loss for John, their friend, who has just been beheaded, in verse 29. And what is this gathering? It's a gathering of disciples, right? All of these uh, who Jesus had just recently commissioned and sent out with nothing, uh, no sandals, no extra shirt. He sends them out with nothing and says, go and minister in my name. And what they're coming back for is not only just to grieve John, but they're actually coming back to tell Jesus how it goes. This is a check-in meeting. And we should note that the disciples are nobody fancy. Uh, these are just regular, everyday people. It's not the fancy people. It's not the people that Herod invited to his court for his own birthday party. And it's a gathering, I actually, I would say the disciples are partners, even partners with Jesus. It's a pretty actually, strangely egalitarian gathering, the disciples with Jesus. Jesus sends them out, certainly in his name, but he empowers them to do this very same things that Jesus is doing. It's a pretty egalitarian gathering of these disciples. Um, and then Jesus gives them actually some time to do what? Rest. The disciples have been fairly successful. People are following them around. And Jesus gives them a little time to take a rest. Now, it's not a lot of time, but he gives them some time to rest. Then the other thing that I think is interesting, I imagine that if there is a palace and the king invites everybody to a party there, there are walls that keep some people in and some people out. In this particular story, 
the crowds actually see Jesus doing everything. It's all out in the open. In fact, when the disciples go to rest, it's in a boat in the middle of a lake, and everybody watches them. Everybody sees them. There's nothing hidden behind any walls, and there's no walls to keep anybody out. In fact, everybody not only sees them, but the brief rest they get on the boat, as soon as they get to the other side, everybody runs over to go talk to them. Everything is out in the open. There's actually nothing that's hidden about this at all. And what Jesus notices is that these people are, what does it say at the beginning of that story? They are like sheep without a shepherd. They're leaderless. Uh, there is no leadership for them. There is no one showing them the way. That's an interesting juxtaposition to a story about a king who's supposed to show people how to live. So they're like sheep without a shepherd. And then Jesus gathers them together and teaches them what? I find this interesting about the story too. It doesn't tell us. It just says he teaches them some things. And then he gives them experience, I think, and this is interpretation of what he was teaching them. And what happens? He gives them an experience of God's love through food, right? If you're a grandma, what is love? Love is food. If you're Jesus, what is love? Love is food. Thank you, Ellen. Appreciate it. Love is food. So he gathers them together, and seemingly with nothing, two loaves, two, uh, or two fish, two loaves, people are fed. Um, what I think is interesting about this story, too, is the disciples are completely unprepared. Nobody went to Costco for the party, okay? Obviously, there is no prep. And yet, everybody at this party finds a welcome, and everybody at this party finds rest. Uh, notice this. Uh, the Gospels are relatively short on details, so when there's a weird detail, it's helpful to pay attention. He makes them lie down where? On what? Green grass. Does green grass, does that trigger anything for anybody? Green pastures, Psalm 23, makes me lie down in green pastures, take a rest. I think we're supposed to hear this in this story. Makes them lie down, gives them a rest. And then, how many people came to this party? Thousands, right? Also notice this. How many men were at the party? 5,000. How many women does it say were at the party? Doesn't say. Bummer. I bet you there's at least as many. So let's say there's 10,000 people at this party. I imagine that that is the opposite of what happened at the king's party. I imagine the king's party was small and restrictive. And the Jesus party is wide open and out in the, out in the open and thousands of people show up. It's a big party. Groups of 100 and groups of 50s that lays down. And then, this is what's crazy, after everybody gets fed, there's still leftovers. For 5,000 people, there's still leftovers. 10,000 people, there's still leftovers. That's a crazy party. These are good Lutheran people. They had enough food so that everybody ate and then everybody got to take something home with them. It's like jello to go, okay? This is a fabulous party. All people are fed, all people find life, and all people are welcome. This is a party of life versus a party of death. Okay, that is what we as preachers would do to get ready to write a sermon. So now here's the questions I want you to ask each other. I'm going to have you turn and talk to each other. I'm going to give you like three minutes tops, okay? In three minutes, you must come up with a sermon. Here are your questions. Which party would you like to attend and why? Which party is more risky and why? 
In your opinion, why does Herod act this way? Is Herod a strong leader? In your opinion, does, why does Jesus act this way? Is Jesus a strong leader? How would you define a miracle? Is the feeding of the 5,000 a miracle? And then the last one, if you were the preacher today, what would be the theme of your sermon? Three minutes. Go. Okay, everybody got your sermon written? That was short, so we got 10 minutes. Do I have any takers for sermons this morning? Any? I'm curious, uh, um, if you're willing, uh, how many of you came up with a theme for your sermon and we'd be willing to just say what the theme would be? Dick. Poor parenting skills. Poor parenting skills. Wait a second. Uh, Oh, that. Wait a second. The theme is bad parenting skills and don't, par- don't pander to your kids. You've got to unpack that sermon for me a little bit, Dick. <laughs> well, I mean, Herod made a mistake with his reckless offer. And he even recognized it was a reckless offer. But he was not a strong enough man to say, wait, I screwed up. I see. Oh, so this, oh, that's, your, that's your theme of your sermon for text number one, the Herod party. Got it. Bad parent, I get it now, bad parenting skills. <laughs> that is spectacular. Okay, but I like what you said. He wasn't a strong enough man to admit that he had made a mistake. And he clearly knew he made a mistake. That's a, that's a brilliant observation. That is a, that's a beautiful observation. Would you have a theme for the second? Or you wouldn't get that far. You would just bad parenting skills and leave it at that. Didn't have time to get to there. Fair enough. All right, good. <clears throat> Dick, you're going to preach next weekend. That was really good. Any, uh, any others? What happens when you share your life? From Pastor Hub. I like that. Good. He's lunch? Did you say lunch? Oh, what happens when you share your lunch? Oh, that's good too. I like that. <laughs> I'll take either. Anybody else? I heard Andre had one. Yeah. Say that one more time. You can share a lot of love with five loaves and two fishes. I like that. Others? There's no free lunch in either one. Okay, we would unpack that for me. Yeah. And then in the second one, there they went they go out there, I guess, you know, and they're they're starving and they eventually get this lunch. But they have to make that trip out there and they have to, you know, oh. down and bring their interesting their families and maybe some cows and I don't know how they traveled back home. Okay, interesting. That's interesting. So even in the second story, you notice that there was maybe some hardship on the people that uh, came to that party as well, right? They had to take their family, they maybe had to leave something behind, and they had to travel to get there. So there was actually a cost of it in some regards, right? They didn't have the internet, and they didn't know what Jesus was going to preach about. Two things I think are very true. <laughs> they, 
The, the, the party invita invitation was relatively vague. Yeah, that's good. Oh, I like that. Uh, yeah, Ray. Less than leadership. Ruthlessness versus compassion. I like that. That's good. It's clear. Others? These are good. You guys, are, you guys can all be preachers. Yeah, that's really good. So uh, what Chris was saying is that in the, it's a, a story about where your power comes from. And for Herod, right, it's all about his um, commanding people and his power all comes from his oath and all this uh, relationship between him and the people, uh, right? And in fact, turns out to be sort of weak in that regard. And Jesus is all, his power is coming from God and doesn't really even command his disciples to do much, right? Um, and in fact, um, just ask them how much they have, right? Is that kind of sum it up? That's good. That's right. Or, I, I don't mean that's right. That's good. I like it. Others? Anybody else? These are all good. Okay. You guys just wrote a sermon this morning. That's really great. Wrote a bunch of them, actually. Um, it's really great. So here's, here's what I would do if I was preaching today. <laughs> just kidding. The way I see it, there's great freedom at Jesus' party. It's, there is great freedom uh, to share love and generosity. Uh, there's freedom to be yourself and to bring whatever it is that you brought to the party to bring it. It's not particularly fancy. Uh, and even the disciples who aren't prepared still get to come to the party with all their flaws and faults. There's freedom to lie down in green pastures and rest. And I think this, there are all kinds of parties in the world these days. There are birthday parties, there are political parties, there are community parties and fundraising parties. And since we're gathered in a group of about 100 or so today, you're all invited to the Jesus party. And what we get is a little bread and a little wine and a whole lot of love to share. Amen.